Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Maybe not verse 13. Let's go back to verse 6. Galatians chapter 1. You need a Bible. If you do, raise your hand. You need a Bible. Just raise your hand. We have Spanish and English Bibles. There's one back there. Raise your hand to your left. Galatians chapter 1. Verse 6. We are going chapter by chapter. Verse by verse as we do at Calvary mm-hmm. Chapel in the city. We're accompanying the book of Galatians. Verse 6, this is Paul writing by the Holy Spirit, meaning the words are God-breathed. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you. So it doesn't say, I marvel at the way you're turning so soon from Christianity. He says you're turning away from him. You're turning away from Jesus Christ. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert, which means twist, the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. That means damned, or eternally condemned. That's what that means. Verse 9 says, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So he repeats himself there. It must be important. It is. Verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, meaning it's not, man didn't make it up. Verse 12, for I neither received it from man, nor was it, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning Jesus Christ told him directly. Verse 13, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And how I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who 
were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much there. I just pray that you tell us what we what, what you want us to hear, or what we need this morning. Father, people are coming into this room from many, many different places, geographically, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally. Some are riding high with joy, others are low. But your word says that you have a word this morning for all of us. I know you can do that. I can't. I pray that I'm not a hindrance for it. Please, please. Speak to us and do a good work this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you this morning, or maybe many of you, God has something for you so much better than what you have. He's got something so much better than what you have. He's got a life for you that's so much better than the life you have. In verse 15, it says this, Galatians 1.15 again. It says, when it pleased God. Who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. For what purpose? To reveal, verse 16, his son in me. Chapel, it pleased God to call you. It pleases God. He didn't call you reluctantly. He didn't call you begrudgingly. Do I really have to call him? Did I really have to? Call her. No, it says it pleases God to call you. He loves you. It pleases him to call you. For what purpose? Verse 16. To reveal his son in you. It pleases God to call you to reveal Jesus Christ in you. 
It doesn't say to you. It says in you. If your translation says to you, it's wrong. He called you, he's pleased to call you to reveal Jesus Christ in you. It pleased God to do this in you. Jesus Christ in you, meaning deep in your soul. Jesus Christ goes from being merely a concept, an idea. Well, Jesus was born on Christmas, raised from the dead on Easter, we give thanks to him on Thanksgiving, or Jesus Christ is what people who are uneducated and stupid believe, or Jesus Christ is the leading figure of one of the four main religions in the world. No, none of that. He goes from being a concept or idea or something that you were taught to being a living reality inside of you. Jesus Christ, the one true God, he came in the flesh, who lived for you, died for you, rose from the dead for you, ascended into heaven, and now by the Spirit lives inside of you. That's why God calls you. And he's pleased to do it because he loves you. Again, it says, verse 15, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, it pleased God to call you. Let's, let's talk a little about this call. Did God call you because of good things that you have done? Someone shot. No. no. Absolutely not. Did God call you because you have not done bad things? Nope. No, it says, we saw a few weeks ago when we were in this, these same passages, Two times it says he called you in grace. Let's go first. Well, actually, let's just, verse 15 again. It says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace. Can't be a more important phrase in the Bible. Through his grace, or in his grace, or by his grace. It's what differentiates the Bible from everything else in the world. Every religion and human philosophy. He called you through his grace. Verse 6, so we started off, it says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ. What does that mean? He called you in the grace of Christ. It means you have been given the blessing of a relationship with Jesus Christ not based on anything you did or did not do for God, but based on what Jesus Christ did for you. And so we have this definition, which I'm constantly tinkering with. 
And here's what we have today. Grace equals when you get a reward from God even though you deserve a punishment. Not because you did good things or did not do bad things, but because of what Jesus did for you. That's what grace is. That's what grace is. God is pleased to call you into relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, not because of anything you did or did not do for God, but because of what Jesus Christ did for you. And that's good news. By the way, anytime you see the word gospel, the word means simply good news. So when it says in verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in his grace to a different gospel. It really, what that means to a different good news, which is no good news at all, is what he says at the beginning of verse 7. It's not good news. If you're turning away from the good news I gave you, because the good news I gave you is all about grace. Now, why is it good news? Well, take Paul. And we discussed this a couple of weeks ago. Before becoming a Christian, he tried to destroy the church. Go to the very end of chapter 1, and it, and it says this. It says this in verse 23. They were hearing only that he, speaking of himself, who firm, formerly persecuted us, now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. He's speaking of himself. And they glorified God in me. We saw these two verses a couple weeks ago. It says in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, this is speaking of Paul, but Paul was ravaging. Now that word ravage, is, it means cutting into, destroying, uh, ripping into, ravage. That's what a lion does to uh, a, a, an antelope or a zebra or whatever that it catches. It, a lion ravages it. Paul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And then what did he do? It says in verse 20, uh, Acts 26.10, many of the saints, I shut up in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Meaning he was on a judicial council that put him to death. He killed them. You can't say, well, there was, there was other people there too. No, on the judgment seat, uh, when, when he's sitting before the judgment of God, you don't say that. Well, other people agree with it. No, that you're not going to want to say anything like that when, you, uh, when God needs you on, on the day of judgment. That, well, everyone else was doing it. No. You were called as an individual. You were individually accountable before God. And he murdered these people. And he orphaned the, 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 the children, the boys and girls of those men and women he dragged out of their house, it said in Acts chapter 8. Now, what in the world do you do when you've done things that bad? What do you do when you realize that you've been living a lie and that you have committed such terrible things against God and his people. What good things can you possibly do to make up for it? There's nothing. You're done. You're undone. Your soul is undone before God. It's ruined before the Lord. 
Bible says, your pride, by the way, I'm speaking to you and me, your pride, by the way, does the same thing. It, it, speaking of ravage, it ravages, it ruins your struggle before the Lord. Your selfishness, your sexual lust, your anger. Jesus says anger, Matthew chapter 5, is equivalent to murder. It destroys your soul. So what do you do? Because no amount of good things in this life or in a thousand lifetimes can make up for someone who did what Paul did or who have done and thought what you and I have done. So the Apostle Paul what does he do? Orphaning boys and girls. Enter Jesus Christ. Into human history. God didn't just create the world, spin it on its axis, and then leave it up to everyone's best guess to figure out who he does and what a God of love does. It's not what the parents who love their kids do. They don't put bring them into the world and then back away and hide and leave it up to everyone's best. I guess is to figure out who is all roads lead to my mother and father. You know that's not true. You have a specific mother and father. Some of them may have passed away, but there's a specific road to who they are. Same thing with God. He, he, he didn't leave us like that. He didn't leave us to our best guess. He gave us his son and he gave us the word of God. What the Bible says is his son. In the beginning was the word, right? And the word was with God. The word was God, Jesus Christ. Enter into human history, Jesus Christ, with Paul's record of killing moms and dads and orphaning boys and girls. Enter into human history, Jesus Christ. We read about it in Mark chapter 15. Hang on. Naked. Covered with blood. A nail through his right hand, a nail through his left hand, a nail through his feet. Passers by cursing. mocking him. God the Father turning his face from him because your sins were placed on him on the cross and the Bible says that God the Father bruised Jesus as if it is He punished him and he turned his face from him. Jesus paid for your sins. All of them. Past, present, and future. Right before Jesus breathed his last breath, John chapter 19, verse 30 says that he cried out, It is finished. 
It is finished. Other translations say it is consummated. It is accomplished. It is done. The word to finish, it is finished, it is finished in the Greek. Greek word to tell us high, it is a commercial term or was. It was a word that was stamped on an invoice. If you purchase something from someone and they gave you an invoice for what you owe and um, and then you paid the money you owed them, the word tetelestai was stamped on the invoice. It is done. It's finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his feet. Oh, the good news, the precious news. It's a crime. It's a crime against men and it's a crime against heaven for you to think that you can add anything to what Jesus did for you on the cross. And that's why in verses 8 and 9, they're so extreme. To the point of nuts from our perspective when we read it to for, for the first time they're so extreme in their force it's like why don't you calm down Paul verse 8 but even if we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you uh, other than what we have preached you let them be damned let them be accursed and then he said, as, just in case they didn't hear, how they couldn't hear and notice, I don't know. But as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches against any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let them be accursed. And so you're seeing a couple times in Europe people going up and they're throwing mud as a climate change protest on famous paintings. The problem is the paintings have covering over them and they're really not doing it. They're making a statement. They're getting people's attention. But what if you, uh, how many people have seen the Mona Lisa? How many people in here have seen the Mona Lisa? There's a few people like this. Like, what's wrong with the Mona Lisa? It's in the Louvre, it's in Paris. It's probably the most expensive uh, painting. It was uh, painted by uh, Van Gogh. If they, if they removed the protective covering from the Mona Lisa and someone no, took black ink or blood and threw it on the Mona Lisa, what would people be doing? That they'd be having a nutty. But if you look at verses 8 and 9, there would be outrage. I mean, there would be outrage beyond belief. But the outrage is all packed into these two verses. If we, or even an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you, other than what we have preached to you, let him be a curse. Martin Luther, when he started reading this book, the book of Galatians, he, he, he was guilted out. How can, I, how can I rebel against the Pope? There's no one more powerful than the Pope. I can't do that. But the Pope is not preaching this gospel. He's preaching uh, grace plus something else. Jesus plus uh, uh, faith in Jesus plus good works plus however many other things and he read this verse and he said uh, and he took courage if Paul is saying even if I or an angel in heaven preaches any other gospel 
let him be accursed. And he, he read this and he took courage to come against that vast religious empire. And, 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 and he broke a lot of he bro broke it down by faith. That was done because of these few verses here, because of this book, the book of Galatians. And, and wow, is he going to, uh, is Paul going to continue this whole thing about liberty and freedom that we have knowing that we don't have to do anything else, nor can we do anything else, but place our faith and who Jesus Christ is. And what he did for us. Jesus Christ did everything. There's only thing one required of you, and that is to believe. It costs so little, in a sense, because it costs God so much. Just look at the cross, the picture there. That's why we read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's why God had it, that he had made four books to describe it. There's only one thing required of you to believe. Again, that Jesus Christ, the one true God, came in the flesh, he lived for you, died for you, rose from the dead for you, ascended into heaven um, um, for you, and will come to live inside of you when you believe and respond to his call. It pleased God to call you through his grace to reveal his son in you. Yes, God, I believe. Is all that's required. Very familiar verses here. John 3.16. This is actually Jesus speaking. Paul didn't make any of this up. Jesus told him what to say. For God so loved the world, and that means you. That means you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes, there's that word, in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then famously, Paul himself says in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, after being asked by the Philippian jailer, what do I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't add anything. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ plus nothing, and you will be saved. Now, when Jesus says, whosoever believes in me shall have everlasting life, he says in John chapter 8, who, he who does not believe in me, he says, will die in their sins. He's talking about hell. But when he says whoever, whoever believes or whoever does not believe, what, what, um, 
What does he mean, believers? This is better. You've got to be really, really careful about what that means. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, Paul said of the Philippian jailers in Acts chapter 16. So precisely what does that mean, believe? Because James tells us in James chapter 2, verse 19, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Meaning, the devil and the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We have accounts for it. We saw it in the, our study of the book of Mark. When demons encountered Jesus, they freaked out. They shrieked in terror. And in the book of James, the verse right before this, in verse 18 of James 2, James says, You believe? Well, that's good. That, that's really, really good. You better be careful, though, because the demons believe and they they're terrified. They tremble in terror. So what does Jesus mean when he says, whoever believes will have everlasting life? Well, one way to look at it is like this. To believe in, in, the, in the way that God is telling you to believe, in the way that Jesus is calling you, says God's pleased to call you by his grace, The way he's telling you to believe is to die. Last week, anyone remember the title of the sermon that Pastor Craig gave last week? Anyone remember the title of that sermon? I love the title. Anyone want to shout it out? Are You Dead? Where's the name of the sermon? By the way, if you didn't see it, oh my. I go online. It's fabulous. Such a wonderful blessing. The title of the sermon was, Are You Dead? He could have just as well entitled the sermon, Have You Believed? Because in a very real way, it's the same thing. Paul, in his letter to the church in Colossus, says this. Um, he says to Christians, and now he's saying, the Holy Spirit is saying to you, Christian, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It could just as easily have said, you believed, and your, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So what does this mean, you died? It means that when you say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you're the one true God, I believe you came in the flesh, that you lived for me, died for me, rose from the dead for me, what you're saying is really this, you're God, and I'm not. And I'm going to stop being my own God and make my, making my own decisions, doing my own things, doing my will and not your will, and I'm going to let you be who you are, God. That's what it means to believe. If when you believed. And, 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 and I say this with all gravity. If when you believe you meant anything less than that, you're not saved. You have the wrath of God over you. You have, you are, you have a certain expectation of eternal judgment. 
If you mean when you believed, it's what you're saying. You said anything less than I'm going to stop being my own God, making my own decisions, doing my own things, doing my will and not your will. I'm going to let you be who you are, my God. If you meant anything less than that, you didn't believe, at least not in the way that Jesus Christ means it. And there are some in this room that that fits the description of what you did. You didn't believe. Because you didn't give your heart life. You you didn't give a full surrender of who you are to his will. I'm shocked and amazed on a regular basis. Uh, uh, you know, Keith, Pastor Keith said two weeks ago, you know, pe- people will be in a worship service and they'll sing a song about I believe and they'll, God is good all the time. Slap five, but go out of church and their week will be all about what's going from one compromise to the next, moral compromise to the next. They never believed. Not in the way that Jesus says when he said, if you do not believe, you will die in your sin. Or if you believe, you will have everlasting life. That's not what they did. So some of you something for you so much better than what you have. So much better. A life hidden with Christ in God. Again, Colossians chapter 3 says this, you died, you believed, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And here's what that means. Jesus purchased a place for you. Not only in heaven, but in this life now. That no demon of hell, no voice of the world, no social media, no voice at work, no voice in your family can ever take away from you. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. What that means, and I gotta tell you, I now know this well after 35 years of It doesn't matter how often bad things get. I can always go to Jesus Christ. To that place. Takes a little while sometimes. And find that life, that joy, that peace that is hidden in Christ, that is hidden with Christ in God. Again, for some of you, God has something so much better than what you have. But you know. I'm gonna call the worship team up now. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have them give you an opportunity. I'm gonna give, we're gonna give everyone an opportunity to worship the Lord. Worship Jesus Christ.
to worship the one with whom your life is hidden in Christ and God. But for some of you, I want, I, I, I want you, if you've never really believed in Jesus Christ in the way we have described it, I've described this morning, if you, for you, believing in Jesus Christ was anything short of a 100% surrender of your will to his will, I mean, you're not saved, but you can come up and say, and be saved simply by believing a prayer in which you die. Are you dead? If so, you don't have to be dead. Live. You can become born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3, he said, unless you are born a second time, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But the good news is that to be born again it doesn't require that you do anything. You simply need to surrender your will and believe. You've been asked to pray. Please come up at this time and ask to pray if you could rise for this worship song. Lives pass from death to life. Yes. Yes. 